everyone, and welcome back into another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined today by two fantastic guests. We have the playwright and author Bambi Everson and the developer and producer Frank Coleman, who are here to talk to us about the new show Unplugged. It's having a special event at the Drama Bookshop later this year in October, and we'll keep you posted about all of those details as they become available. But today we're here to talk about this great haunting new show called Unplugged. So why don't I go ahead and welcome our guests in, Bambi, Frank, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Guy. Thanks for having us. Lovely to be here. I am so excited to learn more about this show, Unplugged, because at first it it comes off a little bit comedic, but then it's also like, I don't know, man, with the way technology has been going, <laughs> this could be a little like, oh, a little too real. So Bambi, you're the playwright. Why don't we have you tell us a little bit about what the show Unplugged is about? All right. Well, I do tend to veer into the dark comedy era. I'm a, I'm a cinephile brought up in, on old movies. So I really like the macabre. I like the dark. I like ghost stories. So this is a play about a frustrated, uh, disgruntled writer trying to finish off a play that uh, a novel that's overdue. I write a lot about disgruntled, frustrated writers. I'm not exactly sure, sure, sure why. It's just a coincidence, right? So he's he's writing this this pulp novel and is interrupted by some strange noises and his printer that seems to have a, a life of its own and kind of morphs into a human form and whether it's all in his mind or whether it's really happening is kind of left left open because I'm also I also write a lot about the thin line between reality and mental illness uh, the crossover so that's what it's about I am at heart a cinephile. I was a, a teacher for 25 plus years from kindergarten to fifth grade and one of my proudest things is that every single student knows that Frankenstein was the doctor and not the monster. <laughs> 25 years. That is that is my gift to education. So this play was was written for my my dear friend Gary Ray, who was having some trouble with his printer and emailed me and said, My printer's making weird noises. And of course I wrote back, perhaps it's haunted. And bing, this it's a play. So I began to, to write it literally for him and my playwriting group. And because I love to write pulp noir-esque writing. And then we performed it at my playwriting group as a very short play. It was 20 minutes. And the feedback was, oh, we need more. <laughs> we, need, we need more of the brother. We need more of him. We need more of the arc. So I sat down to work with, I do everything on hand. So the little spiral, what if? What if this? What if this happened? What if this happened? So I had a friend coming in from town and I was like, oh, I can write her into the play. So then I just started saying, what if he has to go to the hospital? What if he has to go on television? What happens next? And so I just kept doing this little what if circle and it wound up being a 50 minute play with five. It's five characters, but one of the characters could play four roles or you know, it could be mixed up in any way, shape, or form. We were really, really excited to do it in March. And I had this wonderful director, and I had a perfect cast. 
and then it got derailed by COVID. So now I'm, I'm re-inspired and get a little more gas in the car, you know, right now. And, and we're hoping to revisit it and get it up. And Gary's excited. And then we want to even make a, a short film of, of, of it. So, because it lends itself to all that kind of weirdness. And, and when you do technology in theater, it's really hard to do on a small budget with no special effects and all that kind of stuff. So, so it'll be a different, different species if we do it film-wise. Simpler, simpler on stage. I go for simple mostly. <laughs> well, Frank, let me bring you in now and ask, how did you come into or come upon this, this show and this project? Well, Bambi and I were in third and fourth grade together, and, and I was the first boy she ever loved. That's true. And uh, she knew I was into monster movies, and so her dad had the largest private motion picture collection in the country at the time, in their apartment. And so she said, hey, you little boy, you like monster movies? My daddy's showing Dead of Night this weekend. Why don't you come over? And, and so I did, and, you know, the die was cast. That's how we met. But <laughs> no, we in the met. project. Yeah, the project. You have to fast forward 35 years later. Yeah. So she's been, she started right. When did you start writing? 2015? Yeah, I was a late bloomer. I went back to school in uh, 2014, 2014. Yeah. And took my first playwriting class in 2015. And just kind of that kicked in. Yeah. I guess that was what I was, what I really, really liked doing, which I had no idea. Right. So I wrote this play. I always run everything by him. And then I always rope him into doing some small role because he works cheap. I don't have to pay him. This is true. So it has its advantages. Oh, this is the only one of one of a few advantages where we where we do that. Uh, when we when we hire actors, we try to pay them as best as we possibly. Absolutely. Can. It's like one of our core principles. But when you I know? first did it, I had him playing the brother just to test out the words, and he knows my cadence and my my dark soul. So it was, it was a good, it was a good mix. And then, then I decided I wanted, I just wanted a different look. So as they say in the business, we went in a different direction <laughs> for the, for the reading. Uh, it was, it was, it was great. And so, you know, the reality is trying to be an artist in, in any endeavor that you have to kind of be like your own little cottage industry in this day and age also. And all the machinations that go into all that take up an awful lot of time. And I'm also, I've got my own artistic acts to grind with my own stuff and all like that. And I know how difficult it is to try to balance that stuff. So I try to do that for her. I try to take what she does and package it and use my, my talents. I've got many, many years of graphic design, video, audio, blah, blah, dozen agencies, whatever. So we actually publish our stuff in paperback. And we've got six or seven volumes. We've got another volume of shorts that's going to be coming later this year. But Unplugged is available in paperback at the Drama Bookshop actually and we like we like paper we like books because you know we've got 100 year old books in our library and i've never met a hard drive that made it to its fifth birthday so it's <laughs> the last put it on paper you know so we're so we're doing that and, and the drama bookshop yeah. is is yeah, so them. good to us i mean they're so nice then they they buy the books and when i walk in they're like oh bambi we were just talking about you so I, I feel, you know, and I look at my little section and I sign my books and they're, they're just, I mean, I, we, you also can get the books on Amazon, but For there's more. nothing, there's <laughs> nothing like going into the drama bookshop and having a cup of, cup of iced tea and a little croissant and sitting there in the piles of books. It's, it's my happy place. 
So um, I do recommend that if you're in New York City. Absolutely. I could not agree more with all of that. Well, I mean, there's nothing that beats the real paper book and there's nothing that beats sitting in the drama bookshop reading among all of that. It's just the perfect atmosphere. So two great points made there. <laughs> I want to ask you two now, what has it been like developing this show Unplugged? It was an absolute joy, actually, you know, to start off with a core of people that core of actors that you trust and then getting first getting the feedback, which was. I don't often hear, I want more. I want more. There's this cool. Yeah, yeah, it works. It works. And I hadn't written a lot of full lengths. I'd only written a couple of full lengths. So this was, I thought it was meant to be a short play, but apparently it's supposed to be a full length. And the wonderful thing about working with actors that you trust and love is that they always find something in your piece that you didn't know was there. I worked with this wonderful actress, Madeline Paulson, who played all the, the small roles, the doctor, the, the, the announcer, the television reporter. And she was so funny. And I had no idea. I kept, I kept thinking, well, this play isn't that funny. The, the writer is funny. But I didn't know all the other roles were funny until I, I heard it back. Um, so it was really exciting to see that, oh, the, all the actors are bringing something new. They're bringing a bit different delivery than I heard in my head or a different line, you know, a different line reading. A different, so that was, that was a pleasure. And also this particular group of actors, they all liked each other. And we all, we all got along and the director was, a, his name is Job Christensen. And he was just a delight. And they laughed at the jokes and so usually I'm in a corner in a like fetal position like this but during this particular process I just I just sat there and like soaked it in so I was so eager to just have other people see it and then of course it got derailed by by COVID and it was really sad but I think most of the actors are still available so hopefully we'll, you know, we'll get it back up with the OGs and get it out there. But yeah, it was this, this process was, was a delight. And it's, I think it's easier for me to add something than subtract something. So when somebody says, oh, this scene's too long, I think you better, you know, tweak it. That's when I get really nervous. Like, but this is, this is gold. This is important. <laughs> this is necessary. You know, so it's a lot easier to add for me than to subtract. So there we go. Frank, is there anything you'd like to add with the development of the show? Well, I started writing this in like 2017. No, I started writing this in 2019. 2019, I'm sorry. Yes, 2019, right. So like writing about technology is very, uh, for, for the stage is very difficult without it turning into like a nerd fest, you know? So it, like horror is very hard to do on stage too. But I think one of the strengths of this play is that it's centered on the characters, not on the technology. And it has that kind of Venn diagram of anger, pain, humor thing going on. Like the worse it gets for the guy, the funnier and funnier it gets, you know, because he's our stand-in and, and he's overwhelmed by all this, this stuff and he's falling apart, you know. So it's a lot to deal with. But like the words artificial intelligence are never uttered once in the play. And yet it is so clearly that <laughs> now because time has caught up, you know. Right. Siri was yeah. new yeah. when I started writing it. They're like, oh, it's kind of like Siri. 
And I was like, oh yeah, but I wasn't even using Siri when I when I wrote it. I yeah. remember what. Yeah, but I mean, it's just like, all we have to say is it's the latest model and it knows too much about him. That's enough. <laughs> you know, that's all we need. And it's got its own ideas and it wants its own way, you know? And so. Yes, so I'm hoping it, it, it doesn't date with all the new chat GBT and AI. And I'm hoping that it doesn't. Well, I guess that's what we'll find out. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like Monty Python, some of Monty Python stuff, the stuff that lasts longer doesn't talk about a specific person. It talks about like an archetype. More like, you know? Well, is there a message or thought that you both are hoping that audiences will take away from this show? Like what you said is that, you know, technology can be our friend, but, you know, uh, watch your back, kind of. But I really just want people to come and relax. You know, there isn't like a heavy, a heavy duty message here. I want them to come and see themselves you know, in this, oh my gosh, yes, I've had that problem with my blender that wouldn't stop making a strange noise. I, I've had this problem, you know, I want them to, to laugh. I want them to relax. You know, I see so much theater where they're hitting you over the head with, you know, a, a message or a period of time. And that's wonderful and educational. But then there's a lot to be said for like, I'm going to go and have a good time and, and laugh and see this sort of ghost story of a man losing his mind because you know <laughs> one of my favorite movies is black narcissus and what's more fun than nuts and nuns going crazy in the himalayans <laughs> what you know so, that's the kind of entertainment i like and uh movies where it could be mental illness or it could be really happening like a movie like the innocence where deborah kerr might be losing her mind or actually his children might be possessed and so i kind of wrote a play like that was on my my serious on my more serious side so but mostly i i just want people to come and and have a good time and talk to each other and meet other people i mean that's one of the best things about doing small theater is that i'm always meeting somebody that excites me you know and i see a play and i encourage everybody to see everything you know, see bad theater, see good theater, see, you know, Lower East Side, see basement theater, because you will always learn something. And so my eyes and ears are always open for people and connecting people. I, I love when I get to connect people. This person would be great for this and meet this person and connect these people. So that's, that's my favorite part of the whole process is, is finding the people and, and connecting them. And connecting to other other playwrights, you know, and supporting them. I see I see everything. I go to the theater almost every night. And not always back to the future. <laughs> not always, but you know, a lot of a lot of small theater. I love, you know, I love it when you have an empty stage and two benches and you are riveted, absolutely riveted to what's going on. That really excites me. Right. Yeah. So she's written 30 plays now. <laughs> so I'm on the 30th. 30, well, yeah, okay, on the 30th, but it's almost done. But still, so so we have this enormous body of, of work to you know draw from, and we're going to try to do it sort of like a three-legged stool, the plays, the live performance, short films, and the books. But the films and the books are to try to push people towards the theater because the live experience, the theatrical experience is, is the, the choice for the, right? That's the way that we, but the, but the other ones go to support it, right? And given, given ideas, it broaden our, 
but is it something a little bit you know more permanent you know that want so that's that's our uh, that's our mo that's our mo <laughs> and to get people you know? to see theater you know yeah. get people back in the theater like i said i worked at emerging artist theaters and the joy of when people get together having not seen each other for two years and not worked together for two years the joy is is, is indescribable <laughs> They're so happy to be there. Audiences are happy to come. And I've, I've received a lot of a lot of support. And I'm just so, so grateful for the support. Grateful just to meet Jay, who just directed a play that I just saw. Jay Michaels. Uh, Jay Michaels, yeah. yes. I'm just happy to find people that have a passion for you know, doing something that only happens that one time in that one place with that group of people. That really excites me. Love that. Love <laughs> that. So winding down on this first part of the interview, I want to ask you to, who do you hope have access to Unplugged? I want everybody to come. I want everybody <laughs> that I know to come and I want everybody that I don't know to come. One of the exciting things, like when I did my, my noir play, you know, I had a lot of friends come and then I had these people come and I said, who do you know in the play? And they're like, we don't know anybody. We just came in off the street. I'm like, I love you. You're my new favorite people. Because that is, you know, that's where I would get a real, like, honest opinion. And I, I, you know, I sat in a corner and stared at them to see where they laughed and to see if they were, you know, connected. And so when strangers walk in off the street, my, my heart, my heart just like comes out of my chest. I'm I'm so, you know, grateful for that. So I do, like, I, I hope people that come because the idea sounds interesting. I mean, that's where I, you know, I look at all the, the listings on, you know, show score and this score and theater extras, theater mania. And, I, and if the blurb sounds good, I will go not cold, not knowing anything except for what the blurb says. And most times I am overwhelmed with you know the talent i just just saw one man play called grief a shit show which was about this man that lost both of his children in a horrific car accident i laughed like every minute he like you know it's one man show like who who expected it and i was just really overwhelmed with his vulnerability and finding the humor in the d deepest, darkest parts of your soul. And I just saw that uh, recently. And Lindsay Ferentino wrote a play called This Flat Earth about a school shooting. And that was such an inspiration to me because you have to laugh. This, this, the subject matter is so horrific that if you don't laugh every minute or so and release that grief, your heart will explode because it's so intense. And it was a great learning lesson for me when I was writing another play about grief. Most of my plays are about grief, death, ghosts. You know, schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. <laughs> but it was such an important message that you have to release those feelings. And when you get to release them amongst other people that are releasing them at the same time, it's a wonderful feeling. And so I learned a lot from this flat earth. If you can read it, if you can find it, it was at Playwrights Horizons a few years ago. One of my favorite plays of, of all times is such a learning experience. So, and I went to that absolutely cold. I didn't know anything about it. I just went and said, oh, school shooting, death. I think I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
So, yeah. So just, you know, I encourage every single person, you know, to just, to just come. We don't charge a lot. We charge the price of a hamburger in most places. So, you know, we try to have everybody have a good time. Um, that's, I think that's really my goal. I don't want them to walk away thinking, oh my God, the world is going to end. I want them to walk away going, wonder what happened to that guy? Wonder what happened to this guy? <laughs> you know, that's it. I want to switch things up now for the second part. And I want to start by asking the two of you, what or who inspires you? What playwrights wow. or, or shows inspire you or some of your favorites? Okay. This, I love Alan Ackborn. He is my, he's my all time, I think, favorite British playwright because he's always doing something new and he's in his eighties now and he keeps writing. Everything is different. And I asked him about the Norman Conquest, which is one of my favorite plays of his, because it's three plays that happen simultaneously. And I said, how, he did a Q&A. I was very, very fangirly. I said, <laughs> how did you write this? And he said he had index cards written across his wall in his office about what every person, where every person was at every given moment in the play. And so he mixed and matched all these index cards with the people. And I just like, he knew he knew these characters like the back of his hand. And he's written so many plays. I don't love all of them. I love most of them. But he has this one idea that he did in England where two plays were running simultaneously with the same cast in two different theaters. And the timing had to be so complete that the actors would run from one theater to another theater just in time to get into the scene. So there had to be like clockwork all the time. And then he did this other scene where this other play where the second half of the play, they just pick people out of the audience and hand them a script and they get to take over one of the roles. I mean, how much fun could that possibly be? So I love, I love Ackborn, but the new playwrights, I think I've talked about Lindsay Ferentino, who wrote another play called Amy and the Orphans. And I was so impressed with her. It was a true story about her aunt who had Down syndrome and she had cast the play and she put in um, an advert for, you know, disabled actors, but she didn't specify females. And this gentleman came in with, with Down syndrome and she's like, oh my God, I forgot that's Amy and the Orphans. But he was so good that she altered the play so that every Wednesday and Sunday it was Andy and the Orphans. And in almost an entirely different play because the dynamics between an aunt and a nephew and an aunt and a niece and the father. And it was so good. I mean, I love that place. So she just inspired me to say, you take from the people that come in and you adjust your play if you feel like it. So, and she did that. And then there's oh, my other favorite playwright is Martina Mayock, who just wrote The Cost of Living. She won the Pulitzer for it was just off Broadway. And she insists on, if you're going to do this play, you use disabled actors as an actor that's a, a double amputee and there's an actor that has cerebral palsy do whatever you want with the other actors but the cool thing is they are all flawed it's not like the disabled person is the hero or the caretaker is the hero they're all flawed individuals and she has this amazing way of interspersing dialogue 
And she can say the F word and it could mean 12 different things in one sentence. So that's why I love, I love her. You got any playwrights that you absolutely love besides me? Bambi Everett. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he is. He's wonderful. Yeah, and I love I love Cameron's work. He works down at Third Wing. He writes he writes plays that because that's my thing. Anything that has a, a noir or a film, you know, he wrote something called The Fairest about the artist that drew Snow White. So, you know that anything that has any kind of uh, cinematic uh, bent. I saw Brief Encounter at oh, the Roundabout. That was amazing. That was many years ago with some of my favorite actors, but that play. That play almost changed my life because it was in black and white and it had projections and it had people coming through the projections with perfect timing. And it's just like, this yeah. is magic. Yeah. And and that's what I love to see, whether it's on a bare stage, like at the Wild Project, my friend Dominique Fishbeck, who's now very famous, she did a play called uh, Subverted, where she played uh, 25 different characters on stage all by herself, switching a hat around, moving around, turning in a circle on a bare stage with a chair. And it was magic. And then there was Brief Encounter that had all these beautiful projections and it had a river and it had water and it had a boat and it was magic. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why I go to the theater to see magic. The, the, what was it? National Theater did Peter Pan when my daughter was young and Neverland came out of the floor and I burst into tears. I burst into tears at every set change. <laughs> it just because it was it was magic. And I cry at curtain calls. Yeah, he does cry at curtain calls. Even like a church group, you I know. I don't understand it, but I just, just because they got up there. They did, know? and they got your recognition for their for their effort. You know, you know. <laughs> I love all that, Frank. Was there any other playwrights or composers or shows you wanted to throw in there at all? I, I mean, I I'm, I tend to think uh, some some of the standout things that we've seen involve one of our favorite people in the world, which is who is Anne Dowd, and she's, she's a friend as well as also just a force of nature on stage. One of yeah, the places she, she one of the places she wrote, I said I would love to if we could just clone Anne twice and have her play all three roles, that would be awesome. <laughs> you know, but yes, yeah, so we saw Blood like from a Stone, yeah. and and the other thing was like and, and Natasha Leon, yeah. And night is a room, which yeah. had to take a shower after seeing that. That was really intense. But that was at the signature. Yeah. Do a lot of stuff at the signature. Yeah, do. I mean, we try to see it. See, also, like, he's not as daring as I am. So, like, I went to see Downstate, and I read him the blurb, and he was like, oh, no, I don't think I can handle that, you know, by Bruce Norris. And I went, and I loved it. I had, like, for me... Like, who would think that I would have compassion for a pedophile? I mean, who would think that I would understand both sides of this, this horrible, tragedy, tragic experience? And I saw that and I came home just gushing. And, and I was like, I wish, I wish you had come with me. But he looked at the blur and was like, sometimes oh, sometimes, bad. yeah. <laughs> well, we were now arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? I have two, he has one. The first, my favorite theater memory, I was 12 years old and I got to see uh, Jimmy Stewart do Harvey at the Prince of Wales Theater in London. And that basically changed my life because when he like fixed Harvey's ears and fixed his boat, I saw everything. I mean, I felt a little bit like a crazy person, but I saw everything. And when Harvey took his bow, I saw it. 
And that's what made me want to be an actor. And I got to tell him that later when I met him at a Telluride Film Festival. But that was that was the moment that I was like, oh my God, this this is it's it's magic. And the other wonderful thing that happened was I got to take my daughter. It was one of her first theater experiences. She was six. And I got to take her to see Peter Pan with Ian McKellen as Captain Hook. And we sat in the front row. And this is the this is the play that I'm crying at every set change, at every every ostrich that walked across the state. Every I'm crying because they had a little boy, 11-year-old boy playing Peter Pan. It completely worked. But at the very end of the play, at the curtain call, Ian McKellen winked at my daughter to tell her, it's okay, it's all pretend. And I just, of course, I burst into tears and my daughter said, what is the matter with my mother? But it was just like, it really just stuck with me that he had enough wherewithal to just give my daughter a little wink and tell her. And that is what I think shaped her love of the theater. And she got to tell that story to Ian McKellen when he was doing Waiting for Godot like 25 years later. So that's that's my favorite theater memory. He's got one. Not as good as mine. Not as good as mine. Well, I was actually a child actor myself and the youngest member of equity in the country when I was six. But before I got to that point, the person who gave me my first job in showbiz was none other than Joe Papp. And Joe Papp hired me to play Macduff's son. I was four and a half. For my audition piece, I did Hamlet's soliloquy and they hired me on the spot. <laughs> True fact. But they, but I do remember I do remember in rehearsals, they gave me a couple of sticks to play with. And so I put the sticks together into like a little tea and I'm going, like that no no <laughs> little orville right in medieval scotland here <laughs> you can't you play with the stakes but not like that <laughs> but he was just so gentle and kind you know he's just such a such a to me you know being a little kid and everything i just remember him being a very kind and, and you know warm presence you know like that but it was just one of those funny things <laughs> <laughs> Wow, what incredible memories. These are all incredible memories. So thank you both for sharing those. Wow. Oh, sure. We love to talk, don't we? Sure do. Are there any other projects or productions coming up that we might be able to plug for either of you? Well, well no. <laughs> I have a play that I adore called Murder is Served, which is about octogenarians in a, in a love triangle because I want to write for actors of a certain age, because there's not enough work for actors over 60. These are all 80-year-olds. And I did I did a couple of readings of it. It went on a, a tour of a senior home, but they had to kind of curtail some of the language because I didn't think the old ladies could handle the F word. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they liked the play so much, they asked me to add a, a scene. So I have kind of like an octogenarian balcony scene that I added. So I really wanted to do that play again to see if the balcony scene works, if it can work. And I found a, 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 I met through different channels, Austin Pendleton, who's the busiest man in New York. He's always directing something and he's directing things in these teeny tiny little theaters, the theater left, nothing but the, the white and the, the, the bent. So I've sent the play to him and I've given the play to a friend of mine. And I really would love to see that get some legs again, because it's, it's based basically on my mother, except she's not a murderess, but she could have been, <laughs> easily could have been given the opportunity. But yeah, that's a play I really want to get on its feet again. And then my very first play, something called Neither Here Nor There, 
it's about a film noir character that comes comes to life and harasses this this writer. And I did it at Manhattan Rep, and it wasn't a joyous experience. It got done. It had a full house. It played for four nights. I only lost two grand, but it wasn't it wasn't joyous. And in the meantime, I've met some actors that I'm like, oh my god, if only. So that's another thing that I'm I'm trying to get a leg up again because it's an easier play to do. It's just all on one on one set. So that one I'd like to get up. And, oh yeah, that's my favorite. Hopefully, hopefully we'll do another full production of this. Thin Man and the Cherry Orchard. Yeah. That was Thin Man and the Cherry Orchard is my my mashup because I love Nick and Nora Charles so much. I've done two plays about them in various mashups. But the the Thin Man in the Cherry Orchard seems to be the the, the biggest seller. That's that's my big okay. sell. I'm at Chekhov Axis. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's a murder mystery. Of course there's death. I don't I think there's only a few of my plays that don't have a death in there somewhere. <laughs> so. The murder. Or the murder, yeah. death, you know, grief, longing, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, those are the two I'd really like to get have legs up again. So if I do, I absolutely you'll be the second to know. I love that. <laughs> Finally, if our listeners want more information about Unplugged or about either of you, maybe they'll like to reach out to you. How can they do so? Well, I'm I'm pretty get-at-able. I have a website, which is just my name, BambiEverson.com. And it's got all my plays and he designed it so it looks good. And I'm, I'm so get-at-able. I'm on Facebook. I'm so easy to find. And so I think he's pretty easy to find pretty too. Pretty get-at-able. Yeah, but I guess the website. Yeah. BambiEverson.com. I just got through doing like a 30 days of plays thing for her. One of her plays every single day for the entire month of June. So if you go into the news section, you'll see the whole big. The pantheon. Your body of yeah. work, you know. Yeah. It is a substantial body of work. And, you know, she's already having six, seven points, six points at least right now, you know. So we've got a whole lot of material to draw from to try to mount some productions publish more books do short films and just try to and people that are interested in doing something you know i hardly ever say no yes often so i like to see them done like colleges juilliard picked up a couple of them and you know atlanta to go picked up something yeah so i'm i hardly ever say no i don't think i've ever said no not yet but you never know. <laughs> it's so hard to get visible, just simply to get visible at all right. in this day and age. Whatever you're doing is a major accomplishment. <laughs> you know? So, and the only way you get there is by repetition, just just blunt repetition, you know, over time. So, yeah. syndicate. She's got this huge body of work. So I've been syndicating it, and putting out, you know, so social media like drip, 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 tag in the drama bookshop, and so we keep that going. You know, that's the other piece of it. You know, there's the, the work itself, which none of this would, would exist without that. And then the packaging in the, of it and putting it out. And then the promotional thing, which is something I, you know, that's the part that I hand off to somebody else because right. yeah, the packaging and, and, and all that, that is its own full-time job. And the promotion is also its own full-time thing. So thank goodness we have Jay on board now helping us with, with all that. And we try to make, you know, a concerted effort in that direction over, over time. Yep. So find me. I love people. <laughs> and like this, any artist wants just to be seen, to be heard, yeah. right? And just to get it out there so that you can find its natural audience, wherever that might be. I love it. 
Well, Bambi Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. This has been an absolute blast. I am so excited about the show and excited to head down and pick up some more of your work to read. So thank you both so much. Oh, thank you, Andrew. Absolute pleasure. My guests today have been the playwright and author Bambi Everson and the developer and producer Frank Coleman, both who are involved with the new show Unplugged, which is available for purchase here at the Drama Bookshop as well as on Amazon. There's also going to be a special event around the show at the Drama Bookshop later this year in October, and stay tuned to us for the dates when they're announced. We'll be posting about that. You can also find all of Bambi's works and how to get put them on and whatnot by visiting her website, BambiEverson.com. We're going to have all this information in our episode description, as well as on our social media post. But you are going to want to check out this show, Unplugged, as well as all of her plays, all of these works. They sound amazing. If you're a noir fan or a thriller fan, this is exactly what you're looking for. This is the kind of theater that you've been waiting for. So make sure you check out the works that are available at the Drama Bookshop or on Amazon. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One thing the praises of If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. <laughs>